Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Today comes from Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. You may find this scripture at page 912 of your Pew Bible. First, though, let us prepare our hearts. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind, and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. (coughs) 
I bring you greetings from Memphis, Tennessee, and I didn't mean to alienate myself from all of you. We do have barbecue, and you are welcome to try it any time you're by. Several years ago, we were preparing for a trip to Cardenas, Cuba. We were packing old suitcases with supplies for our sister church there, John G. Hall. Judy and I and our husbands were in their living room. We were surrounded by Costco-sized bottles of vitamins, children's shoes, reams of paper, toothbrushes, toner cartridges, Sunday school supplies, frying pans and forks, fabric, yarn, and knitting needles. We had a scale, but keeping each suitcase that we packed to 50 pounds wasn't easy. Our husbands would grab a suitcase and stand on a bathroom scale It wasn't the most precise method, and you can probably imagine the impact of our excess luggage. You know, the sign at the airport reads, surcharge for all bags over 50 pounds. Judy and I had been on many trips to Cuba before, only this time it would just be the two of us, joining up with 20 other women from a church in South Carolina. Judy, 70 at the time, is from South Carolina, and it was as if she knew the risks of my propensities intersecting with these fine Southern women. (laughs) Judy presented me with a handwritten list entitled, Judy's rules for travel. The list was on a page torn from a spiral notebook and the title was underlined twice in a big thick black sharpie and Judy's rules for travel read like this, no negative thoughts, no cussing, except in private, no smart elecky remarks, except in private. (laughs) Do not judge. Do not be too opinionated. Do not roll your eyes nor grimace. Do not complain. Be friendly, helpful, and cheerful. Share your toilet paper. (laughs) Work the crowd. Talk less. Listen more. Pray continually and hold the hand of the Holy Spirit at all times. We all had a good laugh that night. Judy knows me well. And notice how her 12 rules shift from the negative to the positive, from prohibitions to prescriptions. Notice those bookends. No negative thoughts. To pray continually and hold the hand of the Holy Spirit. The dozen rules had a specific purpose. They would help us, me, to remember what it takes to have a really great mission trip. 
The rules were to be a sign and they were to guide us through our encounters with strangers from another culture, both Cuba and South Carolina, <laughs> in a foreign land. Judy's rules were a good guide for that trip, really any trip if you think about it. Often, however, rules, laws, commandments, and regulations start with a right and a worthy goal, but somehow they get twisted or wrongly interpreted for the most awful reasons. Consider just two of Judy's rules. Be friendly, helpful, and cheerful. Imagine if that rule became, be friendly, helpful, and cheerful and kind to only the people you know or you expect a decent chance of reciprocity from. Sadly, it doesn't take much to imagine how that rule would play out in today's world. Or take Judy's rule, work the crowd. Judy meant for this rule to be interpreted as make new friends, Anne, explore their stories and others, and, and show empathy. But what if that rule were to become figure out whose politics most align with yours and then find and form a tight-knit group for which you become a card-carrying member? When we stayed at Matanzas Seminary in Cuba, we pasted Judy's rules on the wall in our tiny little room to help us to remember what was good and what was right. God's law was given to nurture and to build up the community, to assist the people of God as they did justice as they loved kindness and as they walked hum humbly with God and with one another. And Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In his Institutes, John Calvin says that the third in principal use of the law is as an instrument to learn God's will for our lives. The law just doesn't show us our sinful nature and draw us to Christ because we are sinners, but the law shows us how to live in the world as a people who belong to Jesus Christ. And when we observe the law of Sabbath, that power of resting in God, we allow our gentleness to be known to everyone. We live with a sense of trust that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Jesus' love. When Judy's father was in a quick decline and dying in a Memphis hospital, Judy told me about how she took time to rest in God every day to prepare herself to go to the hospital with her father. She would literally talk to herself as she breathed. With an inhale, she'd say, God's peace. And with an exhale, she'd say, God's presence. God's peace. God's presence. 
She said she'd keep at it until it became real, until she felt peace, until she felt presence. This reality was not just any peace or any presence, but it was the power of God at work in her. She needed in those moments the trust that she belonged to God in life and in death, in living and in dying. Judy's Sabbath practice of breathing created the space for the work of the Holy Spirit, of God's advocate. For Judy, the breathing was a letting go. Breathing is both involuntary, we're all breathing in here this morning, I hope, but it can also be a voluntary practice. At any moment, we can grab the controls and we can consciously change how we breathe. And it makes a difference in our bodies. Controlled breathing, which is what Judy describes, literally it changes our parasympathetic nervous system, which counters our body's fight and flight response to stress. So paying attention to this breath work, literally it transforms our bodies by reducing stress and anxiety. I don't know where you are this morning, but try it. Take a deep breath in and hold it and then let it go. Try it again and in your mind say God's peace. God's presence. Judy's Sabbath practice of intentional breathing was not a rule that was reserved alone for the seventh day. When she testifies to this practice, Judy says that it transforms her ability to be fully present in hard places. God's peace. God's presence. The gift of Sabbath is rooted in God's gift of creation. After there was evening and morning those first six days, God looked at all that God had created and said, it is good, very good. And when the heavens and the earth were finished and God blessed the seventh day, he hallowed it, And then on that seventh day, God rested from all the good work done in creation. The gift of the Sabbath. The gift of the law to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy is an invitation to rest in the goodness of God for a good reason. It was made for humanity. Walter Brueggemann says that Sabbath is not simply the pause that refreshes. It is the pause that transforms. Sabbath is an acknowledgement that what is needed is given and need not be seized. What is needed is given by God and need not be seized. 
In today's scripture, we see that sometimes the rules just don't work. At Idlewild, we stick pretty close to a standard order of worship, and there are a few watch alarms that go off after the 11 o'clock worship service. They kind of beep at noon. There might be that nod from this one particular gentleman, Mr. Wilford, that sits by a column. Those are the not-so-subtle reminders to the clergy that our members expect us to follow the rules, the written ones, but also the unwritten ones. As in many parts of the country, ICE enforcement has been dramatically stepped up in Memphis. Last year, there was a lot of commotion. It was coming from what we call the riverside, backside of the sanctuary aisle, right as noontime was approaching, and my colleague Margaret was in the lectern, and she was delivering the prayers of the people. That, and our prayers of the people lead to the final hymn and then the procession and noontime and time for lunch. Judy, who sits back riverside, Judy was making her way to the front of the sanctuary and right into the pulpit with Nancy, who is a member, clutching her by the arm. Judy made eye contact with the head of staff, who's known her long enough to know to make enough room for her. And Judy literally moved Margaret out of the pulpit, pushed her to the side. And Judy said to the congregation, I want you to see Nancy. I want our eyes to be open to what is going on in our city. Look at Nancy. Do you see her? And then Judy told us that Dionizio, our member and Nancy's husband, had been picked up by ICE the day before and was now being held in a deportation center in Louisiana. Dionizio, a member of our congregation. Dionizio, with his always serious Sunday look as he comes to the Lord's table. Dionizio and Nancy, who saw their hard-earned $20 bills that had been dropped into the offering plate, taken out by a homeless visitor, yet they reached into their pockets and they put more into the offering Judy upset the convention of our rules of worship, which was the immediate and, with hindsight, most small-minded reaction that I could have had. More importantly, Judy shook our congregation from its comfort zone of our closing benediction and lunch plans into a harsh awareness that with God's truth, Rules were tearing apart families for political fodder. The Sabbath rule does not work when the Pharisees say to Jesus, Don't do that. You're working on the Sabbath. The intention is clear. We are only in the second chapter of Mark, and already the Pharisees are sensing the threat that Jesus and his new way brings. This new way flips the script from judgment to one, and only one very specific governing premise, love that gives 
life. When moved by compassion, Jesus will heal a begging leper. When chastised by unclean spirits, Jesus will rebuke them and silence them. And when a man is lowered through the roof, Jesus forgives him and heals him. Day, night, in the temple, at the well, at table, anywhere, anytime, on the cross, Jesus and his love reigns. The Pharisees sent and set many traps for Jesus, and Jesus walks right into every one of them. It's not because he doesn't see the trap, but instead that his very life and actions he takes embody the love of God and a willingness to risk his life in that love. Each trap is an opportunity to show a still more excellent way. Jesus knows their collective voice of judgment will, in the near term, be louder than his persistent voice of compassion. Jesus knows that the Pharisees' collusion with the authorities will lead them to think that they have won, that the cross and the tomb are the end of the story. But Jesus also knows more. Jesus knows better. He knows the triumph of the cross over death. Jesus does not collude with despair, but with love divine. Kim, Judy's husband, died last year. It was sudden and ironically happened soon after a stroke he suffered while Judy and I were in Cuba again. It was not just sudden, but it was tragic. Kim was a Marine and a Vietnam War combat veteran. He was an attorney. He was a rule follower. He also knew that there had to be plenty of room for the Holy Spirit to operate. And Kim made that room by giving Judy a wide berth, by letting go and trusting God. At the beginning of Kim's memorial service, we ushered Judy and her family into the front row in the sanctuary. Judy bucking convention. She turned around in that front row and she just looked. She took her time. She was weak. She was weary. She was strong and she was courageous and she was faithful. I watched her breathe in and breathe out. The poet Rilke suggests that living fully human, that trusting in both beauty and terror, 
that we can embody God's loving presence. God speaks to each of us as he makes us, then walks with us silently out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You, sent out beyond your recall. Go to the limits of your longing. Embody me. Flare up like a flame and make big shadows that I can move in. Let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life, and you will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. Jesus grieved and angry with the Pharisees for their hardened hearts, for their silence, says to the man with the withered hand, come forward, stretch out your hand. And he was restored. I think the challenge for the church is to come forward, to stretch out our hand and let the Holy Spirit take us into God's peace and God's presence. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.